Well, it is good to be with you. Uh, we've been trying to do this for a little while, and you might know like last week I ended up in the ditch on my way here. It was not a very dramatic exit to the ditch. At Miracle Mountain, we have a big hill. We're kind of famous for that. Uh, and at the top of it, you know, the ice storm had just glazed everything. And I thought, well, maybe I can make it to the bottom. And then I got to the top, and the cinders were, like, covered with ice, and I just started to slide. And I was like, okay, there's no going back. And hopefully I can get to a spot where I'm not, you know, careening off the side of the hill at this point. Uh, snow is no problem. I don't mind snow at all. But every now and then that is over and uh, there's just there's not much you can do about it. So I was able to graciously just find just it's really more just pulling off the road. And I called a friend from the ranch. And he brought the tractor down with chains and hooked and pulled me up. And an hour later, they put rocks on the on the hill again and I was able to go to church with my family but I wasn't able to make it here so sorry about that but um, but we made it this week and it's beautiful driving weather worried about the storm that was coming in but it's not gonna be a problem today so I'm looking forward to the snow anybody else love snow one of you good I, I love it I'm excited I get very disappointed when they say you're gonna get a foot of snow and we get like a trace it's like that's no fun we live in northwest Pennsylvania you gotta enjoy it you got to embrace it. So I'm excited about the snowstorm. We're supposed to get one to two feet up there at Miracle Mountain. Things at the ranch are going well. Right now there's a SALT retreat going on, Servant Attitude Leadership Training. So it's the teenagers that kind of come up. And this has really grown. The Lord's blessed over the years. So they're studying. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's meant to be a fun retreat, but it's, it's meant to be a deep retreat where they're really getting to know the Lord and, and kind of just walking with the students kind of emerging of these, these guests and the students that we have. So there's like 45 in this group. That's one of the larger groups I remember us having for that. So that's pretty exciting. That's going on this weekend. And things are well. It's freezing cold up there, but we're doing well. We're trying to prepare and just kind of get ready for this winter of ministry and the summer to come. So that's just a little tiny update about the ministry up there at Miracle Mountain Ranch. Thanks again for partnering with us and, and coming up. We, we invite you to come up. Um, you know, in the wintertime, but maybe in the summertime if you'd rather um, a little more sun that way. Let's pray and we'll get started. We'll look at this passage together, Second Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I appreciate this opportunity to share on this passage. It's my second time just kind of walking through this passage, and I don't know what it was, Lord, but you kind of hit me when I read this a couple months, uh, six months ago or so, and wanted to preach on this, and I'm grateful for this opportunity. I am grateful um, that this has made an impact in my own life, is just consider how I can be generous, how I can be a cheerful giver. And so I pray for the, the friends here at Lance that they would learn with me on how they can glorify you by giving to others around them. In Jesus' name, amen. The goal, you can turn there if you want. Turn there to, to Corinthians. Start with Corinthians. We're going to kind of go through a few little passages, but we're going to end up with 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. So if you want to turn there, that would be great. Follow along, circle things, get your pens out and underline stuff, all, whatever it takes to, uh, to stay engaged. At least, you know, it being so cold in here, there's less of a chance that you will, that you will fall asleep. And so really, um, we did that on purpose. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. It's actually not that bad. It's warming up, but I guess one phase wasn't working too. But I was like, perfect. They won't fall asleep, you know. Uh, hard to fall asleep when you're a little on the edge. Cool, you know. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it's comfy. 
Our goal is to bring glory to God. Our goal is to bring glory to God in all we do. We do this by following His commandments, right? We do this by following His commandments. Chief among those commandments is what? To love God and to love other people. We can love people by, by being generous to them, amen? We can love people by being generous to them. So this is really the point of today's message. Now, this giving is not to be under compulsion, but it comes from a heart that loves to give back to God. Remember, we're going to give to other people, but we're doing this to the glory of God. That's at the heart of this, is it's bigger than just even those people that we're giving to and being generous to. So if we look in our Bibles, a lot of them have like a a heading there that's uh, being a cheerful giver. And I'm, you know, I, I was hired to come down here to lecture you on how to give more. That's what they have a guest pastor do. So the pastor doesn't look bad, right, when he asks the church to give more. No, actually, Pastor Matt said, listen, the only thing is this church is very good at this area. So that's awesome to hear this report. Uh, this message has nothing to do with you, really, other than I get to share it with you. Six months ago or so, I was reading through this passage, and I thought, I would love to preach on that. And I don't know why. I just thought that would be a fun passage to walk through. I teach a financial stewardship class at the ranch, so it's kind of been a topic that I have something to do with um, over the course of my life. And I went to school for business with an emphasis in financial services, so I think giving in that concept has particular interest to me. So, so just know that you've been praised at a church that is very generous uh, to your community and to your staff. Uh, so, so I'm not the hitman that way. I'm just, I'm just sharing what's on my heart this morning. This letter, uh, you know, of two, right? We have, we have first and second uh, Corinthians. Paul is asking for their financial support to gospel causes. And I want to kind of lay that out as a little bit of a theme. He's asking for support of gospel causes in kind of lots of different ways, and, and giving is a part of that. There was a great need. So before they're about to give, and the Corinthians had means to give, I had a great time sitting down with some of the teachers at the ranch and asking about this First and Second Corinthians, because I was kind of looking at this passage, and I was like talking to my friend, help give me a context you know, for Corinthians. And he was telling me about how these people did have, you know, they had wealth that they could give. And, and kind of others had gone to them before and asked maybe wrongly for their support. And so Paul is prepping them um, and giving them an opportunity to give, but he's also kind of teaching them how to think about giving. And that's where we can kind of learn so much about this and kind of the, the doctrine of giving as we study this passage, because he gives us so much more than just give. It's like kind of the how and the why and the heart behind the gifts that we give, and even what kind of gifts those can be. So there's a great need, and Paul is spending some time talking about the importance of generosity before they make this decision on what they would give. But a little context to First and Second Corinthians. It has not always gone well here, right? If you Flip through, and if you get bored of me talking, you can flip through the first, you know, Corinthians a little bit, kind of read some of the headlines there, and we realize that it had not always gone well. He cares dearly for these people, but it had been rough. We see in the first letter to the Corinthians that there had been a lot of false teaching. 
there have been a lot of divisions, right? Maybe remember some of that, some of the preaching you've heard. Like I said, you can always flip back and read some of the titles and you realize, wow. I think some have labeled this, you know, the Corinthian catastrophe at times. There was just a lot of things that had gone on, and Paul's writing them with a lot of passion, trying to encourage them to straighten certain things out. So this was the second letter. But I just want to set a context that has not always gone super well. Paul wants to get back to the heart of the gospel. He knows that selfish ambition will lead to more division and more fighting. Paul knows that this will never lead to generosity towards gospel causes if there's this fighting, right? Kind of hard to think about others when you're fighting with someone, right? That's not like you're in an argument with somebody or you're, you know, and you're thinking, well, how can I bless them, my neighbor? You know, when you're in a tough time, a lot of times when you're fighting, you're just not thinking about being generous of others. So Paul knows that he wants to encourage love between the churches, between the believers in families and towards Christ so that there's an outflowing, not just a sucking sound of these people here needing things. Paul also confronts those that might ask wrongfully for money, right? He says that he has right, the right to ask for their support as someone who's serving the church. He has that right to do that. But he doesn't make use of that right, demanding that they support his cause. He didn't do that. I think that's remarkable about this passage. And, and let me read 1 Corinthians 9.15. You can turn there if you'd like to kind of see it, kind of track with. Try to just set a context as we get to our heart passage this morning. And just summarizing some of these thoughts, we read, But I have made no use of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my grounds for boasting. Paul has the right to ask for support and money, but he does not take that right. This seems to be a trend with Paul. He wants people to be generous from their heart. He also wants to push back on those that are demanding. It was said that there was these super apostles that had been demanding their, their money. And maybe the Corinthians having money, people saw them as a target. Oh, they've got money, we should go ask them. Paul realizes he wants to give them an opportunity to give because that, that is a blessing to the giver, to have that opportunity. That is a part of our normal activities. But he doesn't want it to be a demand and for people to feel like they're under compulsion to give. He wants it to be from their heart, a mere expression of how they're glorifying God with what they have. And it's really not only money. If we hear from Christian leaders such demands, this would be a red flag to us if we hear this. And maybe you've seen that on television or heard it, and it just seems like it's always like an asking, and you need to, and, and you've got to, to push the need, and all this stuff, and it gets to be like a program. I think we've lost something there. It could be a red flag that maybe that's the opposite of what Paul was kind of embodying when he went to present the needs and, and express that there was needs that needed to be met. 
Then let's look at 2 Corinthians 1.3. He talks about how difficult it has been. 2 Corinthians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. Verse 8, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we have experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond the strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, It's bad, folks. I mean, you read this, you realize this is tough stuff that he had been going through. So despairing that they wondered if they would get out alive. He's he's sharing that, right? But he delivered us from such deadly peril. And he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope. And he will deliver us again. You also must help us in prayer so we may give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayer of many. So we see a great need here. We see a people in, in trouble, right? We're kind of leading up, reading up to our heart passage here. He's talking about the need. Sounds like there's a lot of needs here. I would read this and go, wow, those, those people need some help. They've been through a lot, right? I mean, we talked about that even prayer requests. It's like... They've been through a lot. We have a family, you know, has a death or, or, or something hard. You know, like, how can we reach out with meals and help them, help lift their burdens? And, and, and I think, you know, Paul's just, yeah, we, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions that we have experienced. So he's expressing that. And then he gives them some ways to practically help. And I focused on one because it just kind of hit me as I was reading this that, that part of this was prayer. prayer. We see that the answer is Christ, and we see that Paul is pointing out a clear gospel-oriented need for gifts to be given, but he is more focused on the goal than the giving of the gifts. He points out the need for prayer. This is often overlooked or underappreciated as man tries to push on towards the goal. I know that personally, I do not always turn to prayer first or put clear trust in prayer that it will help the situation. It's almost like, you know, we've got all these needs, oh, and we should pray. Anybody ever do that? Maybe I'm the only heathen here, but sometimes in a crisis or something breaks or I need support or something, the first thought is like to go to God and ask Him. I don't know, I don't know if you, any of you experienced that ever. Prayer is maybe the second option. Maybe fretting is first. Maybe worry, maybe telling a friend, but not crying out to God and saying, please, please help me. Or asking others to pray on your behalf. That's why it's so important. And I, I just, I'm confessing this morning that when I read that, I thought, I was convicted while writing this that I need to start praying sooner. I think we kind of game out all the possibilities and intellectually try to solve the problem, come up with ideas to fix our need, and sometimes we just need to cry out to God and say, Dear Lord, please help me. Start there. When we 
start there, it changes our attitude and we start to look towards God as the answer, as the giver of these good gifts instead of just looking to ourselves. So we'll keep going. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. This kind of talks more about uh, where, we, where we place you know, our hope, which is why we would pray in the first place. It's all connected. The real treasure is Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but, but we are not crushed, perplexed, but we are perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies, in our weak, needy little bodies. God is glorified through our weakness, right? So a recap, as we kind of get to our passage that we're going to this morning, to give a context, right? First uh, and Second Corinthians is a church that had a lot of difficulties, a lot of divisions, some false teachers. There was even, you know, the, attacked Paul on different episodes, but he cared for these people. He loved these people. So he's writing them, wrote them at least two letters, maybe more letters. This, is, this, this was, you know, somebody, this was a group of people he cared dearly about. And and uh, it's not always gone well, so he's teaching them. And so when we read this, we can just really kind of try to listen for the point, right? Listen for what we could apply to our lives today from, from you know, back then, because the problems are the same, right? Sin is sin, and we have, this, we have the same problems that they had back then a lot of years ago. But uh, to recap, the goal is to bring glory to God. We do this by following his commandments. Chief among them is to love God and to love others. We can love people by being generous to them. This giving is not under compulsion, but from the heart that loves to give to God. This creates cheerful giving. This creates cheerful giving. We are so trusting in God's goodness and so thankful for His grace that we are full of joy to support this gospel cause through giving. So that leads us to our main passage, and here are the points. I'm going to read the passage, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. So please follow along. They're going to circle some things, whatever it takes to stay engaged, right? With your mind, love God with your mind. This is the point. I love how this starts. Paul's like, this is the point. I'm like, I can understand that. I'm not a real complicated person. Uh, I was listening to a, a history book, and Admiral Leahy, who was, you know, the World War II, um, worked for... FDR, and when somebody would explain something, he said, well, just back up and say it again. I'm just an old sailor. I'm just an old simple sailor. I mean, he's pretty sophisticated at that point, but he would say, just, you know, just give it to me again. I'm just a simple sailor. So I like when Paul's like, this is the point. I'm like, okay, circle that. I can, I can get this. My level of theology right here. This is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. They're again so thankful that it's clear. I mean, we can get that. Anybody plant a garden in here? Last time I preached this message, only two people. I really feel there's more people that have a garden. And if there's not, you need to work on it next spring. It brings, it's nice to plant things and they grow and you eat them and it's fresh. It's a lot cheaper than 
Walmart or wherever you shop. Sometimes it is. We spend so much on our gardens, that's debatable. But nonetheless, uh, I, for my last message, I, I got from my son who loves farming. Grant loves farming. And we went over to the farmer, and Grant would take him uh, ground up corn. He wanted, he wanted to uh, grind up and make feed, right? Um, Peter understands this farming stuff. And, uh, and, so, and so he would grind it up in this coffee maker, that he wanted me, that I got for him. So he would grind up and give it to the farmer, and the farmer would feed it to his cows, all half pound of it, and then give him some fresh corn, and he would take that home and grind it up until he eventually burned up that coffee grinder. Um, and so I, I said, Grant, I need some corn. So he got me, you know, about this much corn, because about a cup of corn or so is about how much you would get from, from one kernel if you planted that, maybe, maybe three quarters of a cup. It varies a little bit. Maybe on the top side, 800 kernels. So that's the kind of return on investment you might get from planting one kernel of corn. So in this passage, we see this is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Who also sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But, right, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a what? A cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He is distributed freely, He is given to the poor, His righteousness it endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seeds for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way through which will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of His service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also this overflowing and many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because, they, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. All right, let's walk down through some main points. The first of all, the goal is to glorify God in all that we do. We're glorifying God in our giving. Next, from this passage, I believe that we can realize that our hope comes from the Lord. In the midst of all persecution and danger, our hope comes from the Lord. We have confidence in that. And that's going to help us give confidently to others. We give because we are confident that God will richly reward us. It is not bad to be excited about the rewards that the Lord will give you from you being generous. We're going to clarify that a little bit, but let's turn to Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He is the rewarder of those that seek, that seek Him. We don't hope to get richer. We hope to be more richly blessed by God. So we could get this wrong. We could say, well, if I give money, right, then I get money. That's the wrong way to look at this. 
if you give, I'll just say give, because it could be money, it could be your time, it could be your talents, some first fruits that you have. If you give, you're going to be blessed. But that might not be money, right? That might not be money. But God will bless you. You reap what you sow. Sowing or planting is the act of placing a seed in the ground and hoping it will grow into a prosperous plant that will bear fruit. And that's the picture that Paul's given us. He put it right in very easy terms for us to understand. Like, we can all get that. We plant seeds, and they come up. And if you don't plant the seeds, what comes up? Nothing. So plant seeds. So be a giver. Be generous. And he doesn't put a dollar amount on that. He doesn't even really clearly define what exactly it is. But be generous. Look for ways to be generous. We all have things to give. I mean, you got poor college students here, and they don't have two pennies to, to throw together, but maybe they can volunteer and take pictures for somebody in town. Maybe they can go, what's that snow removal list that you have, right? It, who can't? Well, there's some of us that can't do that, but a lot of us can do that. And maybe there's something else by, you know, helping in the nursery or calling a friend. There's so many ways to be generous. Maybe joining your volunteer fire department. You must give as you are led in your heart. Giving should come from the heart. It should be something that flows from your relationship with Christ. This is an act of love. So this is a fruit of the Spirit. This is a fruit of of walking with God and being close to Him. You understand where it starts, right? Because the goal is not to just go give more. Really go grow in your relationship with Christ, and you will give more because it's going to be a fruit of the Spirit. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. If you have a bad attitude about giving, then, then it's not from the Lord. If you have a bad attitude about giving something, then, then you need to work that out before you give it. Because we're not supposed to be reluctant in our giving. And this makes sense. Because this cheerful giving is because we are so confident that the Lord uh, is going to bless us. And that this will glorify Him. And this will bring us joy and satisfaction, and rewards one day in heaven. We may not see any of this here. That's fine. This is not a get-rich-quick idea at all. This is about investments that we, we will be blessed here, but, but not tangibly, maybe. Maybe, maybe not. I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I was um, giving a, a check to my church that was just, it was larger than what is normal. And um, anyhow, it was just it was just one of the larger you know checks I had written. And the Lord blessed, and I was able to give this thing. And I kind of you know, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, you're kind of thinking, look, this, this is exciting, right? That morning, someone gave me a check. I had helped somebody out do something a while back, but it was just ironic that they gave me a check for the same exact amount that I had just thought I was giving to the Lord. This person's like, here, you know, thank you. Thanks for helping me out. And I just thought the irony that, like, you can't outgive God. You've heard that expression, and you can't. Not even, now that's not how it works. And you wouldn't want to, like, well, Donnie said, you know, if you write a big check, then somebody in church is going to walk up and that's not the point to get out of this, right? 
uh, Pastor Matt's going to come in from the car and haul me off of here if he thinks that's the theology I'm teaching, right? Amen? The, the point is that, that I'm just telling you as a person who's raised support and, and you know, been in this for a long time that you just can't outgive God. It'll just blow your mind. But we don't give it so that we try to, to, to get something from God. We give it as an expression of, of our love to Him. And like I said, that might just be taking pictures or plowing for a neighbor or vacuuming in the church or whatever it is. It's just this heart in you that says, how can I be generous and love other people? And, and then you have to be there with the Lord so that He shares with you what that is for you in your life. God loves a cheerful giver. The rewards for giving from a grateful, grace-filled heart. God is able to make grace abound to us, in us, the giver. God gives grace to those who give to others. The, his righteous will endure forever. Giving is a part of God's righteous plan. This is God's plan. God provides a seed to the sower. I love this part. I just, this part got me so excited when I got down to it. I was like, not only are we supposed to give, but he gives us the seed to, to plant in the first place. And there was a song we were talking about how, like, like you know, this is not something that we, we can't buy our salvation. Amen. And so we're like, well, yeah, God, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give God this. I'm going to plant this seed. Who gave you that seed? Oh, well, God did. I just think that's, anybody else think that's cool? I just read that part there. Um, let, let's go back. Look at it in the scriptures directly. He supplies the seed to the sower. He supplies the seed to the sower. That's exciting. He's going to give you the gifts to give to other people. He has given you those things. Then it makes sense in James. It says, every good gift comes down from God, the Father of light. And so we realize the little things that we are able to give, God has blessed us and given those things to us in the first place. And if we get that mindset, then, we, then we're thankful. And that's why it does turn back into thankfulness to God as we give to other people and strengthens our walk with God because we see that this came from God in the first place. God provides the seed to the sower. I was so excited about that. And then, what does he do after that? You plant the seed. Who waters the seed? Who multiplies the seed? God multiplies the seed. He gave you the seed. You plant the seed. He multiplies the seed. He helps the seed grow. So it's God that does this whole work the supremacy of God in giving is so clear. Not easy to say, but clear. He increases your harvest and your righteousness. Giving creates thankfulness to God. It's kind of like a farmer mindset. Are you a planter? Are you a sower? You know, if I said, look, if you plant this tomato, this seed, I got this seed, you're going to see just this massive reward. You would be excited to plant that seed. Kind of goes back to your confidence, though, with that process. And whether you believe that God is good 
you believe that God is going to do this work, that if you give and you plant and you are obedient to his commands to love other people, that the cheerfulness is easy when it flows from a heart that is putting its trust in God. And how do we do that? We walk with God. And that's why Paul was not just worried about the gifts and, and, and whether they gave to him or they gave to other gospel causes, but he was trying to disciple their heart towards a closeness with God because he knew if they were close to God, then giving would just flow out of these people. This act of giving creates thankfulness to God. I just want to emphasize that point. We realize that God is great, and He's a giver, and He gives to us, and He multiplies things in our lives, and we are thankful, and we give Him praise, and we give Him glory, and we sing these songs out of the gratefulness we have. We praise Him. We bring Him glory. What does it take to be a cheerful giver? Faith in Christ. It goes right back to the gospel. Walking with God. I keep thinking of Galatians 5, 16. You know, if you walk with the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh wars against the Spirit, the one against the other. You do not do the things that you wish. But if you walk with the Spirit, you have the fruits of the Spirit. We need to look beyond short-term rewards towards long-term rewards. Even in a crisis such as we've been through, we've got to keep our eye on the goal and realize nobody can take eternity from us. The opportunity to love is unprecedented right now. The opportunity to serve others is unprecedented right now. And sometimes crisis gives us an opportunity to glorify God and, and give and to serve our communities. That's why I mentioned things like joining your rescue department or your fire department or, or delivering meals to someone. This is a chance for Christians to, to come together, realizing they have confidence in Christ. They have a gospel to give, and they can tangibly, physically help their neighbors. There's so much need. There's so much need. As a firefighter, I see it. Uh, we went over to somebody's house the other day, and we, they had this you know, physical need. But then one of the firefighters spent like 30 minutes on his hands and knees just trying to get this person's fire started in their house because it had gone out. They realized this stuff happens around us all the time. And the Christian has the opportunity to be there, to show up, and to give. Let me contrast this before we end. We're almost to the end here um, with the rich young ruler. So turn with you with me to Mark 10, 17 through 22. I want to see the opposite of this. And Pastor Matt, he sent me a couple of messages to, to listen to on the topic of, of giving, and I appreciated that mentorship. and I've, I've appreciated his mentorship over the years. Uh, I have great respect for him in preaching. And uh, he kind of laid out like the opposite of these things, you know, and I'm going to read through some of the lists that he had he had preached to you previously. And I, and I think kind of likewise, we can look at this sad situation of the rich young ruler, and maybe see the opposite of where we're going. Mark 10, 17 through 22. And he was setting out on his journey, setting out on his journey, and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to them, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Where was his trust? His trust was in his stuff. That's where his hope lied. And Jesus knew if, if, if he didn't turn away, if that idolatry, there was no way he could follow Jesus if he was really a slave to his stuff. It's a sad story. And so by God's grace, by him working in our lives, we can say, well, I could be like that some days, right? And I could, I can be there, right? I run a business too. I mean, it's easy to get caught up in the physical, the things we see, the numbers, and not put our hope and trust in Christ. And that's why I mentioned that thing about prayer, and I was convicted by it, because that shows someone that sees Christ as the answer. It's like when you're sick, you want to call the doctor and say, what do I do? I'm sick. I need help. You know, the heat was out this morning, so the pastor looked for somebody that has knowledge in these areas. Please help, help fix this heat so it doesn't want people to freeze it out this morning. It's getting warmer in here, too. So when we encounter a problem, do we turn to Christ as our, as our hope? A little quote from Matthew Henry, let us endeavor to copy the example of Christ being unwearied and doing good and deeming it more blessed to give than to receive. I'll read it one more time. Let us endeavor to copy the example of Christ being unwearied and doing good and deeming it more blessed to give than to receive. Christ came and he, he gave his life, right? To save the sinner. We have been given so much grace and God's done a work in our lives and given us salvation. And so we're so excited about that we get to give back. Here's a couple opposites that Pastor Matt mentioned that I, I thought was very good. What is the opposite? of worrying about money. Any guesses? Anybody remember that message? Trusting God. What is the antithesis of stealing money? What's the opposite of stealing money? Working and giving. What's the opposite of hoarding money? What do you think? Giving money. Being generous. Exactly. Being generous. What is the opposite or the antidote of craving money? Contentment. Contentment in Christ. Are you content in Christ? Interestingly enough, the last message that I preached since 2016, see, I go along to a lot of t uh, uh, churches so I can preach the same message more than once. Except next week, I'm preaching two weeks in a row, so I have some work to do. Um, but, uh, but I preach on contentment, and I preach that here uh, before as well. So let's go through your notes together real quick at the end. Uh, so you have to fill those in. And on the last page of your bulletin, we don't have to, but some of you would just get me afterwards if I didn't give it the answers. Our hope comes from the Lord. So the answer there for the first one is our hope. 
Next, and maybe you figured this out, you reap what you sow. Everybody's reaching for their pens. I'm going to go too fast. I was one of those kids that couldn't write very fast, so I was, I was aggravated when the teacher would go through it, and I'd have to, like, you know, ask my buddy to, to hand over the, the answers because I didn't get it. So I'll try to go slow enough. Anybody, you know, on the phone, somebody says their phone number, like, like 100 miles an hour, and you're like, thank you. I, I have no, I don't even know what the first number is. So I'm, I'm, I understand. I'm, I'm like that, too. Our hope comes from the Lord. You reap what you sow. The goal of giving should be to make much of God. Giving should be from, anybody know the right answer? The heart. Starting to be like school now. We should be generous. God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make his grace abound to us, the giver. Givers there. Second to the last, giving is a part of God's good plan. And God provides the seed to the sower. If you missed one, see me afterwards. Who are we to give to? As we leave, who are we to give to? I wrote down a couple things. Uh, the church. There's definitely a clear uh, commandment in Scripture to support our local church. The poor. I think, sadly, often this is overlooked. And in Scripture, you don't find a lot of rules about giving to the poor. And I think sometimes we overthink it. Well, if I give him money, what is he going to do good with it? And all these things. There's really just so this overwhelming thing in Scripture to, to give to the poor. I think we need to be thinking about ways we can give to the poor. Like I said, that might be money. It might be time. I might be taking them with you to, to help with a job interview or writing it. Whatever. Who, know, who knows? But you know in your heart how to help the poor, your community. You said maybe join the fire department or something like that. Um, our family. And then other churches and missionaries. Those would be some ways and people that I think it's, it's you know, clear in Scripture uh, for us to give to. Let me read the goal one last time. Our goal is to bring glory to God. We do this by following His commandments. Chief among them is to love God and to love other people. We can love people by being generous to them, not under compulsion, but from a heart that loves God.